Well, we are once again in the book of James today. Uh, so if you want to turn your Bibles uh, to James chapter 1, you'll also find the text printed in your, in your bulletin. I'm actually going to start a couple of verses before what's printed in your bulletin, but I'll explain that in a second. Uh, you may have noticed in the news this week that Hobby Lobby was in the news. Hobby Lobby was in the news. And it's not because they have small clowns hiding in the back. Um, <laughs> that's just for the people who were here last week. Um, Hobby Lobby filed a lawsuit because they didn't want to be forced um, to provide insurance that covers the morning after pill. They didn't want to be forced to provide insurance that they felt uh, they were having to basically cover abortions. And then they said the reason they didn't want to do this was because it violated their Christian owner's deeply held religious convictions. Interestingly enough, and, and I think the reason this was even in the news to start with, uh, is that a group of what the article described as liberal Christian pastors uh, had formed a group and they got 80,000 signatures and they were protesting Hobby Lobby's lawsuit. Uh, they said, you know, you're interfering with, with women's health care and, and you shouldn't be doing this. So they, the, this group of Christian pastors was protesting what this Christian business owner uh, was doing. And now, I'm not bringing all this up to make a political point, so sorry. Um, that's not where I'm going with this. And I, and I don't know if the paper meant that these people were uh, liberal theologically or liberal politically or what exactly they meant by that. But w what it highlights is the fact that there's a lot of different people out there who would claim the name Christian, and yet they, they wind up in very different places uh, on the issues that affect us today. All right? Um, and it can leave you wondering at times, what is, what really is a Christian? What makes somebody a Christian? What are the, the core things that somebody has to com be committed to to actually have a right to call themselves that name. All right, if, if I were to ask you how many people here were born in South Carolina, and some of you might raise your hands, uh, we could go back and check that, couldn't we? We could go back and look for your birth certificate to see whether that was actually true. But what if I were to say, how many people here would say that you're Christians? Now, some of you might not be, and you might not raise your hand, but, but many of you would, and you would raise your hands. How would we go back and check that? What would we look for to establish whether that was really uh, true or not? Uh, I'd say one of the most fundamental tests, one of the most fundamental ways we can check that is to ask, and for you to ask yourself, what's your relationship to this book called the Bible? What's your relationship to the Bible? How has the Bible affected you in the past? How does it affect you now, what's your attitude toward it? All right? So think about those things as, as we look at our text. And I am, I'm going to start in verse 16. And when I get to verse 19, I tell, I'll tell you because that's where the bulletin starts. This is God's word. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, 
that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. I'm in verse 19 now. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is God's Word. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you that, that you would deem to meet with us now, and that you would uh, deem to give us instruction. Uh, Father, would you do that? Uh, would you open our hearts uh, to the truth of your Word? Would you cause us to examine uh, truly... Uh, how we think about your word and how we relate to it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to look at four things from this text. Uh, four things that define a believer in Jesus Christ's relationship to the Bible. And here are the four things. A Christian is born again through the word. A Christian uh, listens to the word. A Christian receives the word. And a Christian does the word. Right, they're very simple things. Born again through the Word, listens, receives, and does. Let's look at the first one. A Christian is born again through the, through the Word. Verse 18 again. Of His own will He brought us forth by the Word of truth. Now, if, you're, if you're reading from the NIV, it translates it that God chose to give us birth through the Word of truth. And we saw last week that this phrase, Word of truth is a way of referring back to the message of the gospel. Uh, you can also hear echoes of John chapter 3 in this, uh, where Jesus tells Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless, unless you're born again. So here's the thing. Uh, you hear people sometimes say, I'm a born again Christian. And you also hear people say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born again types. They're, just, they're kind of squirrely. I'm, I'm a believer in all, but I'm not one of those born-again types. Jesus says, you can't be a Christian unless you're born again. James says that the way he and presumably his readers became Christians was when God brought the gospel message into their lives and worked something so dramatic that it was like a new birth. Not another physical birth, but this spiritual rebirth in their lives that was wrought by the Word of God. Uh, so however you may feel about uh, those born-again type Christians, the Bible says you're not actually a Christian unless you've encountered the Word of God in such a way that it's actually produced uh, new life in you. Uh, 
specifically, you can't be a Christian unless you've heard this core message in the Word of the Gospel. Uh, that you're a sinner in need of God's grace, and you've embraced that grace that's offered to you uh, in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you a simple illustration to kind of get this, this idea across. Um, when you look at your mom, or a picture of your mom, you can say, this is something you can say about your mother, that woman gave birth to me. All right, and I want to respect that. I want to love her. That woman gave birth to me. She brought me into the world. She gave me life. When you look at the Bible, can you say this book, this book with this gospel message, this this book brought me life. This book brought me spiritual life. It changed me. Now, some of you may have grown up in Christian homes and you don't have this dramatic conversion story, but you know that this book with this message about Jesus is what gives you hope and life. Uh, A Christian is somebody who has been given new birth, new life through the Word, through this book. You have that kind of relationship with the Bible. The second thing James tells us about uh, the Christian's relationship with the Bible is that a Christian listens to the Bible. Look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, usually when we read that verse, what do we think about? We say, well, that verse is talking about uh, how to handle anger and relationships and, and that sort of thing. You know, don't just blow up on somebody when they say something that you disagree with, you need to listen to them and, and hear them out and be slow about speaking up. And that, that's a legitimate application of what James is saying here. But I think in this context, he's talking about something more than just how we relate in our interpersonal relationships. Because he's just talked about being born by the Word. And in the very next verse, he tells us to receive with meekness the implanted Word. So here's what I think James is trying to get across in in this verse. When you hear the Word of God, how do you react to it? When you hear the Word of God, how do you react to it? Put it like this. A lot of people, I I didn't even say maybe most people, like parts of the Bible. Um, Plenty of people, we we can go out on the street and find plenty of people who say, yeah, I kind of like some of the things Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I, I, I like this about forgiving your enemies and, and, and turning the other cheek. And you may like the parts of the Bible that, that tell you to be concerned about the oppressed. You're glad there are commandments in the Bible that say, do not steal and do not murder. You're like, I'm, I'm all for those. Uh, th- those are good commandments to have in place. But what do you do when the Bible says things about your sexuality? Uh, when the Bible says... You, know, you really shouldn't have sex outside of the context of marriage. When the Bible says that homosexuality is actually a sin, uh, what do you do when the Bible addresses how you spend your money and how you give and how generous you are? Uh, what do you do when the Bible says, tell the truth at all times, and you're like, man, I've really got to make an A on this test, and, and, and the only way that's going to happen is if I cheat what do you do when the when the Bible starts messing with those areas of your life where you're like, I, I don't know if I agree with the Bible here. 
The Bible's kind of rubbing me the wrong way a little bit in this situation. And you know what? It is going to rub you the wrong way at times. The question is, what do you do when the Bible rubs you the wrong way? Do you stop? Do you stop and listen to it? Or because it's on something that you don't quite agree with, you start saying, well, you know, the, the Bible's really old and, and they don't know the things we know now and our culture's come a long way. When the Bible says something that you don't agree with, do you get angry with it? Do you push back at it? Uh, James says that anger, that rejection of the word, doesn't produce the righteous life that God would like to see in you. Uh, now, now, look, you know, you really could argue we all bow up on the word from times, from time to time. Uh, anytime you sin, I guess you could say you're not listening to the word. But somebody who consistently looks at the Bible uh, and just rejects the parts you don't like can't claim the name of Christianity, even if you would like to claim the name of Christian. And let me say, and this may sound kind of odd, but that's actually a good thing. Because think about it like this. If I can just look at the Bible and pick and choose what I like about it, then what I'm in effect saying is, God, you don't have the final authority in my life. I've got the final authority in my life. You can't correct the way I think about things. I can correct the way you think about things when I see something here I don't like. My culture can correct the way you think about things when we as a culture see things we don't like, but you can't correct us. And if you're in that position, then one of the problems with that is that you don't actually have a God. You have what one pastor called a Stepford God. Now, some of you, you may or may not remember the, the, the movie and the book, The Stepford Wives. It told the story of these housewives who, and I don't remember if they were possessed or brainwashed or robots or something weird was going on there. But, but they, they basically were these perfectly beautiful women who always did whatever their husband asked. They were always docile and submissive and yes, dear, and oh, you're coming home at 4 a.m. from the poker game. That's fine. I'll have milk and cookies ready when you're home. This sort of thing. And it's over and over like that the whole movie. They were mindlessly um, submissive and, and fawning to their husbands. When you and I look at the Word of God... Uh, and look at what it says, and we reject it. We're saying, God, I really would like you to bless my life. I want you to make sure things go well. I want you to make sure my dinner's ready. I want you to be here when I drag home at 4 o'clock in the morning. But I'm in charge here. I'm going to have the final say. And see, what you have then is not a God. It's not the God of the Bible. It's a step for God who just docilely follows you around the house. Well, a Christian somebody who's been born again through the Word, who listens to the Word, and James says in the very next verse, there's somebody who receives the Word. They don't just listen to it and then go about their business. They actually receive the Word. Uh, in, in the movie White Men Can't Jump, which I don't necessarily recommend you watch, um, 
But there's this one point in the movie where Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes are having this conversation, and Woody Harrelson's pr- trying to prove that he's really down with, with black culture uh, because he listens to Jimi Hendrix. And Wesley Snipes looks at him and he says, Look, man, you can listen to Jimmy, but you can't hear him. There's a difference, man. Just because you're listening to him doesn't mean you're hearing him. Just because you're listening to the Word of God, just because you sit here week after week, doesn't mean you're actually hearing the Word of God. It doesn't mean you're actually taking it into your hearts and being changed by it. Look at verse 21. Therefore... Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now a couple things about this verse. Notice how James contrasts anger in verse 20 with what in verse 21? What's the opposite of anger? It's humility. The opposite of anger here is is humility. There is such a thing as righteous anger, but our, our anger honestly is very rarely righteous. Uh, Our anger usually results from our lack of humility. I've got this figured out and you're wrong about this and I don't need to hear what you have to say about this. Uh, Just keep your viewpoint to yourself. I already know the right thing to do. And James says instead of angrily rejecting the word we need to listen to it. We need to listen to God's word and put away, he says, all uh, filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put away anything that would keep you from receiving the word and humbly receive it because this implanted word is actually able to save your souls. You see, there's this great tide uh, of, I guess what we'll call worldly opinion, that's pushing against the word. It's pushing against what the Word says. It may be from your parents. It may be from your grandparents. It may be from the music you listen to, from the television shows you watch. But it's pushing against what the Bible says. And James says that that worldly opinion is very often uh, filthy and wicked. And, And the thing is, we all swim in it. We all swim in that. And we're, we're, we're being told by James to reject those things that are contrary to the Word and to receive the Word. And that as we do that, the Word is actually saving our souls. Now what does that mean? Uh, The Bible uses this idea of of salvation in actually a a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. You can look to this uh, time in your past when you were saved and you were declared right to be in right relationship with God. But it also uses it uh, in a future tense when we look forward to our completed salvation when we sin no more, when everything is made right and perfect. But then he uses this in this sense of what's going on in our lives right now, that we are being saved, that we're not there yet, and that God is is using the Word in our lives right now as we are being saved, as we are being kept, as we are being changed, as He prepares us for that final day. And so James is pointing us to that ongoing work of the Word in our lives, of the living word that's been implanted uh, in our souls. Let me put it like this. If you're a Christian, then God has actually engraved the word, his word on your heart. Uh, or to think about it another way, he's, he's, he's taken out your heart of stone and he's given you a heart of flesh. 
that's not cold to the Word, but actually resonates with the Word of God. He's planted a seed in you. And as that seed grows and as it bears fruit, uh, as it grows and bears fruit, as you receive what it says, um, it produces new life in you. Our family just watched uh, the Lorax this weekend. Uh, I don't know if you've all seen the Lorax. The Lorax is based on a Dr. Seuss book. Uh, and, and the plot of the Lorax is, is something along these lines. Uh, it, it tells a story of how this city came to be um, this place with no trees, no grass. It's all plastic grass and plastic trees. Uh, it's walled off from anything having to do with nature. There are no animals. And the air is so polluted that they actually have to, to pipe in fresh air. And they sell water bottles filled with air because people buy anything in a plastic bottle. Um, and so it, they just kind of live in this little world. Well, one of the, the main character in this story uh, decides that he needs to impress the fair maiden. Uh, who has been drawing pictures of trees, and she wants a real tree. She's never seen a real tree. And so the little guy, I can't remember his name, he journeys outside the city to find a tree, and he's going to bring a tree back to win the girl. Well, he journeys outside the city, and he, he finds out what's happened, and he finds out there's only one seed left for whatever kind of tree it is in this world. A what? Truffula. truffula. There's one truffula. He's paying attention. There's one truffula seed left, and it's the only one left. And he's got to take this back to the city, and he's got to plant it in the city. And so they take it back to the city, and you know there's all the opposition. But anyway, they try to put it in the ground, and the ground's too hard, and so they get a backhoe, and they break the the plastic, concrete, whatever's on top of the ground open, and they get down to the dirt, and they plant the truffula seed. Uh, in the ground, and it sprouts up, and as it bears more seed, other trees sprout up, and this city is changed from this fake, plastic, polluted, deceived place to a place that, where the animals come back, and where's grass growing, and there's trees. The city's been given new birth, and the blinders are lifted from the people's eyes, and they don't have to buy oxygen from the oxygen, oxygen salesman anymore because they have trees now and photosynthesis and all that good stuff. Um, that's a beautiful picture, I think, of what the Word does in our lives. Uh, God takes His Word and He plants it in our lives and it sprouts up. And as we, you know, we weed the garden, so to speak, and, and keep the things that would cause it to be unproductive in our lives away from it, it, it grows and it reproduces and our hearts and our lives are changed. So that we look vastly different from what we did before. We look the way we were originally uh, intended to look. Our lives take on the shape God originally intended them uh, to take on. We're remade by this word that has given us birth and has now been planted in us uh, and is creating new life in us. That's a Christian. A Christian is someone who's been given new birth by the word. A Christian is someone who listens to the Word. A Christian is someone who receives the Word. And finally, a Christian is somebody who does the Word. Now, <clears throat> look at verses 22 through 25. This is what a Christian looks like from the outside. 
James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I imagine that you were getting ready for church this morning and you went and looked in the mirror and there was like just dirt on half of your face. It was just like completely red mud. And you look at that and went, hmm, I should do something about that. And then you walk out the door and came to church anyway. Our, our guys, imagine somebody put a big bow in your hair overnight uh, to play a joke on you. But you went and looked in the mirror and you saw it. You're like, that's kind of funny. He did that. And then you just forgot about it and came to church like that anyway. Okay, that would be absurd. That would be crazy. James says that's what it's like when you look at the Word of God and you see the things that it reveals about you and then you walk away from it without doing anything about it. Uh, there's a mirror in the first Harry Potter book. It's called the Mirror of Erised. And when you look into this particular mirror, what it shows you are your deepest desires. And so when Harry looks into the mirror, what he sees are his parents who are dead and other relatives who are dead because he so desperately wants them to be alive and with him. When his friend Ron looks into the mirror, what he sees is, a, is himself being the class president, of himself being the captain of the Quidditch team. And if you haven't read Harry Potter, just think captain of the football team. Captain of the Quidditch team and winning the, the Super Bowl of Quidditch. Because... He's always been overshadowed by his brothers and sisters, and he wants desperately to be recognized. And so that's his deepest desire. When he looks in the mirror, that's what he sees. When you look intently into the Word of God and examine yourself by it, it starts showing you things about yourself. It starts showing you what your real desires are. It starts showing you that you desire things other than God, that you desire things, uh, uh, you have false gods that you want more than you want the true God. It shows you your character flaws. It shows you uh, the things that are wrong with you. But it also shows you that in spite of all your fears and insecurities, you're actually a person made in the image of God. And that you're loved by God. That you're fearfully and wonderfully made, as hard as that may be for you to believe about yourself. Uh, it shows you that you're so sinful that someone had to die for your sins, but that you're so loved that Jesus willingly died for your sins. It shows you now how the one who loves you and saved you, it shows you how he wants you to live. It shows you how you were made to live. It shows you how to live in a way that will bring blessings to you and your family and to the people around you as well. So James says, don't walk up to the mirror of the Word of God and then look at it and then walk away having forgotten what it says. Act on what you hear in the Word. And then he gives some specific examples here. He talks about uh, being careful with our speech. Uh, he talks about keeping yourself unstained by the Word. He talks about caring for, for orphans and widows, for caring for the least of these. And we'll, we'll get into these more in the coming weeks. But, but James is saying, look, here's what a Christian looks like. 
There's somebody that cares about somebody besides themselves. There's somebody that actually loves their neighbors, that are concerned with, with pleasing God, that are careful with the way that they talk. Here's what it looks like for you to really follow Jesus. Now look, um, no one does the word perfectly, right? Otherwise we wouldn't have to confess our sins over and over again. The Bible's very clear about that. But if the word of God has been truly planted in you, just what James refers us back to here, if that's really happened, then there's going to be something about the Bible that resonates with you. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like in the, the Harry Potter books, you're going to have this living connection with the word, kind of like Harry and, and uh, Baltimore have, except in a good way, um, if you've read the book. It's, kind of, it's like a reverse illustration. They've got this connection where Harry always knows what Voldemort is thinking and doing, and he has to practice actually shutting that out. He has to learn how to do that. If you've got this living connection to the Word, um, if you set yourself out to deliberately sin, it's almost as if you have to shut out what the Word of God says in order to go do that. Because you've got this connection, you're that connected to the Bible. You've got a living connection so that you hear it, you listen to it, and you receive it, and you desperately want to do it. You want to put it into practice in your life. And yes, you fail at it. Yes, you fail at it often. But you're convicted by that. And you look again to Jesus day after day in faith and in repentance uh, and in new obedience, wanting to listen, to receive, and to do. And James says the result of that pattern in your life will be blessing. Uh, some of you be, will be relieved to know I found a show to replace house. Um, it went off the air this year, and uh, so I've been, been kind of hurting. Anyway, uh, the new show uh, is Breaking Bad. And, and, I, and I don't, <clears throat> this is another one of those shows, I wouldn't necessarily say your children should watch this. But if you're, if, if you're a grown man, uh, a grown woman, grown man football, I'm sorry, um, then this, then this show really has some interesting insights, I think valuable insights on human nature and what people are really like. The show tells a story of a man named Walt. Uh, Walt is kind of an ordinary, kind of mousy chemistry teacher who finds out that he's got stage three, I think it's stage three, lung cancer. Uh, he doesn't have very good health insurance. He doesn't have very good life insurance. He doesn't want to go through chemotherapy. He just like to enjoy his last months, but he's de desperately concerned about his family not having any money when he's gone because his wife's actually pregnant. She's expecting, so he wants them to have something when he's gone. So Walt decides that the way he's going to make money, since he's a chemistry teacher and has this expertise, he decides to start cooking crystal meth. So he connects with a drug dealer, and they get a Winnebago, and they start cooking meth out uh, in the Arizona desert. Well, they do this for a while, they make a little bit of money, and then, we'll just say things go badly. Um, and he quits cooking meth, his wife finds out he has cancer, so what's going to happen now? Well, she, she doesn't know about the meth, but she wants him to undergo chemotherapy. She said, look, I love you, your son loves you, your child on the way, 
you need to try to be here for us. There's a chance you can get well if you actually go through this chemotherapy. Um, but he still refuses. He says, I'm not going to do it. They've got a friend who's going to pay for it. I'm not going to do it. And so the wife decides to have this intervention. Uh, and it's this great scene where she gathers his son uh, and, and her, I think it's her sister-in-law or her brother, I can't remember. So there's this little family gathering. And they're going to have an intervention and they're going to tell Walt he needs to have chemo. And they pass the pillow around and whoever has the pillow gets to talk. And so they make Walt listen and they pass the pillow around and they all explain to him why he needs to have chemotherapy. And then he explains to them uh, why he's not going to have it. It's not really explaining. It's just, it's just kind of this angry scene uh, that's, that's absurd in some ways, but, but too close to home in others. As everybody just defends their own position and gets steadily more angry with the other people in the room. Well, finally, he goes to bed. He's got kind of this restless night. And he wakes up the next morning, and he looks over at the, at the, the dresser, at the table beside the, the, uh, the nightstand, beside the bed. And on top of the nightstand, there's this book. And the book says, Cooking to Cure Cancer. And it's this book that his wife's been reading. And it suddenly hits him in the midst of that. She's, she's reading up on how to cook so that I can get well. And it hits him how much she loves him and how much she cares about him. And so he gets up and he goes to see her in the kitchen and he hugs her and he says, I'll do the, I'll do the chemotherapy. And what changed him was not her angry words, but what changed him was him actually seeing how much she loved him. Now, the catch here is um, he still has too much pride to take his friend's money. He agrees to do the chemo, but he starts cooking meth again to pay for it. Now, why not tell that story? There's, there's two ways you can be like Walt, all right? Some, some of us uh, are looking at the word of God like Walt was looking at the words from his wife. And we're saying, God, you don't get it. You don't understand me. You don't, you don't understand what you're asking me to give up. What you're, what you're asking me to go through. It would be like going through chemotherapy for me to give up that particular thing in my life. It would be too painful. I, I hear what you're saying about doing the word, and I need to do the word, but I just don't believe that I can actually do that. Let me, if that's you, let me suggest that for a moment you actually close the Bible for a minute. Quit staring at the particular passage that's bugging you so much. The thing that you don't want to do. And put the, put the Bible on your nightstand. And look at the Bible and ask yourself, what's the reason for the Bible? What's the purpose of the Bible, of the whole thing. See, the, the purpose of the Bible is to show you how much God loves you. That that's what the whole story is about. It's about the message of the Father's love for His children. It's about God sending His Son to undergo chemotherapy on the cross for you, in your place, so that the cancer of sin would actually be eradicated from your soul and from my soul. And the God who says, 
don't do that, and you're looking at this passage that says, don't do that, before He says that to you, before He says, don't do that, quit doing that, you're actually killing yourself, He says to you, I love you. Can't you see how much I love you? I'm not going to tell you to go do anything as painful as it may be that isn't ultimately meant to be good for you. Before you can be a doer of the Word, you've got to sit back and kind of take the whole story in and see how much this God who is telling you to be a doer of the Word actually loves you. Now, uh, there's a second way oh, we can be like Walt here in that we're looking at the Bible and we're looking at our lives and we know something has to change. We see things every day that need to change. But dadgummit, I'm going to take care of it myself. Some of us have been Christians for years. But the reason we try to do the Word of God is not out of this faithful, loving response to what Jesus has done for us, it's because we're still trying to prove ourselves worthy of God's love. We've still got all this pride. We're still trying to pay it ourselves. All right, I may need to be changed, but I'm going to pay for it myself. I'm going to handle it myself. Y'all, the Bible is about a God who pays for us. It's about a God who pays for us. And a Christian is somebody who hears that message and is changed by that message, and they begin to listen to the Word and receive the Word and to do the Word. You know, at the end of the day, Christians may not agree about everything, but they want their lives to be shaped and directed and ruled by this book that's given them life. That's what a Christian is. Is that you? Is that you? Let's pray. Father, this is your word. I pray that you would give us eyes to see it and hearts to believe it. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what it has to say. Um, that you would make us mindful of the whole story. That we would see your commands to us in the context of your love for us. And that, Father, you would give us the will and the desire to actually do what is pleasing to you and good for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.